This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to the summer tour edition of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And my guest today is a storyteller, a songwriter, and a man who helped define Americana as a musical genre. Houston native Robert Earl Keene started playing guitar and writing music while attending Texas A&M University. And he would eventually go on to tour for over four decades, including a brief stop at the Southern Living offices back in 2012. Today on the show, Robert talks about his mother's dump cooking, his Americana podcast, living with Lyle Lovett during college, and what it felt like when the Highwaymen named their album after his iconic song, The Road Goes On Forever. Plus, the Texas legend explains his emotional decision to retire from touring and performing in September, and why he decided to play his final shows at Floor's Country Store in Holotus, Texas. All that and more on a very special Biscuits and Jam. Robert Earl Keene, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I, is this a, like a physical place or is this like a virtual place? Are we in a virtual reality situation here? <laughs> We're definitely in a virtual situation. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. All right. So is, <laughs> is the jam part of like music jam or is it like jelly jam? Well, it's like it's like food uh, and, okay. you know, food and music. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the uh, magic combo. Yeah. It's a double entendre. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Where am I reaching you right now? In my hometown, Kerrville, Texas. It's west of San Antonio, 60 miles. And it's uh, the home of uh, H-E-B, the largest grocery chain in Texas. And also it's the home of the Kerrville Folk Festival since 1972, where they have a picture of LBJ sitting in the front row. <laughs> yeah. So does this mean you're kind of off the road for a few days? Uh, I'm off till the day after tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. All uh, right. I, I just got back yesterday morning at 530 in the morning. Well, I'm sure it's nice to be home, have a little happy recuperation time. Always, always happy to be home. Well, Robert, you have a unique history with this podcast because you actually came to the Southern Living offices right. and played for us about 10 years ago when Biscuits and Jam was just the tiniest seed of an idea. So uh, thank you for coming back. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I remember that very well. We were like in that big room with the staircase there. And I think at one point I had to step up on the stairs to see over all the people. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think we actually served biscuits when you came last time. So I'm sorry we're, we're not doing that oh, uh, no. anymore. No, no, I, I've still got some of those in my teeth, so I'm uh, I'm still <laughs> chewing on them. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome back. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. So, Robert, you were born and raised in uh, Houston, I believe. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Which I'm guessing was a very different town 
back then. I'm wondering if you can take me back to the the house and the neighborhood that you grew up in. Absolutely. I started out, it's not a suburb, it's just inside Houston. It's called Bel Air, like, you know, like in LA and stuff, but it's not anything like LA. But that's where I grew up was in Bel Air. And then uh, when I was in third grade, I moved out. We moved out a little bit further to the, another suburb. Sharpstown was a brand new suburb back then. So it was kind of like a, one of those scenes from Back to the Future. So I grew up there. And at the time, Houston, Texas was, you know, the city of the future, like Brasilia. I remember reading in my Highlight magazine in like kindergarten and first grade, you know, where the f- cities of the future are Houston, Brasilia, and then Cleveland, but they messed up on that maybe a little bit. But there was a lot of excitement all about, especially the the, the space race back then. I, I go all, all, all the way back to the mid 20th century, of course. So that was a, kind of a big part of the excitement about growing up in Houston. And of course, what they called the eighth wonder of the world back then the Astrodome. And I wish that it kept it as the eighth one of the world because people drive by it and say, I wonder what that is. So it would be, it would definitely <laughs> fall in that category. It was an exciting time. And I remember my dad driving around on the freeways there and he was loud and big and he weighed like 325 pounds and he was the real optimist. And he just almost slow down in the middle of the freeway and then wave his arm over all of the refinery stacks and say, look at it, son. It's just, it's the city of the future. And I was like, wow. And, and like the dystopian future. I mean, if I'd have known that word, I'd have said that to him, but I just went, yeah, dad. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, we did a big feature on Houston in the very first issue of Southern Living, which was in February of 1966. And yeah, it was all about that, that city, the future thing. Yeah. And I imagine back then it was like pea salad and uh, those uh, congealed salads that you used to get at the at the cafeterias around town too, right? Oh, yeah. I think yeah. those are coming back around. Are they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I miss them. I'm glad. I'm happy about that. <laughs> so your dad was the son of a Methodist minister, I believe. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was the church a big part of your growing up? Well, I think my dad um, had been to so many church services in his life that he didn't have a lot of excitement about going to church. So we were always late and we always had to walk in when they were passing the plate. You know, they'd hold us back because we were like 10 or 15 minutes late. So we couldn't walk in there during the sermon or some prayer or something. So they'd wait till they were passing the plate. And then we'd walk in there. Of course, my dad was, had a really great voice. He had a great kind of almost operatic singing voice and he was loud. So he came in just at the right time because in the Methodist church, that's when like all the songs are kind of broken out towards the last half of the whole service. And he would sing really loudly. And the preacher would always say something like, and of course, Mr. Keene's there in the back uh, singing the baritone part for everybody. And I'm, I'm, and I'd hide <laughs> under the pew. You know, <laughs> so did you pick up the singing a little bit from your dad? Well, I wish I had his voice. I have a very unique voice, but he was very, very much in tune and did have a really clear voice. But I think I got most of my music appreciation from my mother, and that still holds true today because my mother was a big fan of country music, but she was also a big fan of classical music, and those are pretty much the two things that I always default to when I run out of new stuff that I'm listening to or something else that somebody turns me on to. So I love classical music, and I love country music. Hmm. Well, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, we talk about food on this podcast a good bit, and you reference food in a lot of your songs. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, was your mom or your dad a big cook? My dad cannot cook a lick. 
As a matter of fact, <laughs> one time he decided he was going to barbecue. I was about 12 years old and it was going to be a big deal. Okay, dad's going to barbecue. So he's going to barbecue some pork ribs. And so he gets it all going and he's working on the fire and he fills up this Folgers can half full of gasoline. And I'm going, you know, that might not be a good idea, dad. And he goes, I'm doing this, you know, son, just you do, just watch the expert. And I said, okay, great. And so he throws that gasoline on the fire and it caught his arm on fire. And so like he was in the process of drop, chopping and rolled, whatever you do, chopping and rolling. And I guess you, you would have to cut your arm off at chopping. But anyway, he actually caught his arm on fire and I jumped on top of him. And then we got some towels and stuff and we took him to the hospital. And sure enough, he had whatever the worst degree burn that you had on his, on his arm. So that was the beginning and end of my dad's <laughs> cooking career. My mom was a fantastic cook. There's a place over there in Chapel Hill, North Carolina called uh, Mama Dips. Sure. And uh, I have a couple of those cookbooks. And I finally found out what my mom did. It's called dump cooking, which is like you really don't use any kind of measuring device other than the palm of your hand. And so my mom was a great dump cooker. And I, I followed her in her footsteps because I'm a big dump cooker and I like cooking. And I do a fair amount. When my girls were growing up, I cooked all the time. What do you like to make? You got a favorite dish yeah i'd say you know like the kind of classic almost southern or southwestern it would be fried venison mashed potatoes green beans some slaw and something for dessert easy like i don't know lemon bars oh so yeah that would be my go-to you know i, I bet you i've cooked i don't know i'd say ten thousand pounds of spaghetti in my life though <laughs> that never gets old right no never does it's always a good one <laughs> and I and I always do it differently. I mean, that's the great thing about dump cooking. You know, you're like, hey, maybe I ought to try some of this vanilla or this mustard seed. Boom. Okay, great. That wasn't a good idea at all. <laughs> so, Robert, you lived with Lyle Lovett uh, uh-huh. during your college years uh-huh. at, at Texas A&M, and y'all been friends ever since. Uh-huh. Did you guys ever cook anything together? No. You know, Lyle had a few things that he did in the world of, I don't know if you'd call it cooking, he could make a great pot of coffee. That's what I could say. He's the coffee king, and he really could make a great pot of coffee. In general, he was kind of a cheese and crackers guy. Like, if there was something kind of laid out there, it would be that kind of thing. In general, like I said, I I learned all my cooking chops from my mom and my grandmother. It's one of those things. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but with cooking, it's sort of innate in a personality. You either really like it going into it or you're kind of apathetic about the whole thing. And I always loved it. I've heard that he is uh, really into food. Is that true? Yeah. yeah hey, uh, we used to go to this place called Mom's in downtown Bryan. It's, you know, Texas A&M is, is located in College Station. And the city that's just sort of right there, you can tell the difference between the two is Bryan, Texas, B-R-Y-A-N. And in downtown Bryan, they had this place called Mom's, and it was full-blown family style where you would sit at a table with strangers or, you know, if you had a big group, we were all together. And you'd go in there, and it was pretty much all you could eat at lunch and at dinner and then or supper, as they used to say. And then you just go, uh, when you're walking out, you gave mom your two bucks or three bucks. I forgot. I think it was two bucks at lunch and three bucks at supper. So that was where, you know, like I really noticed, like you talk about biscuits and jam. I mean, that dude could put away some biscuits and some jam. I mean, and it was kind of like he was trying to get through the 
main part of the meal so he could get to that biscuits and jam, you know. (laughs) So really a true lover of particularly that kind of what would be country American food or or Southern food, you know, that would be what it would be. Yeah. Well, you and Lyle wrote a song together called the Front Porch Song. Right. Which you actually played at the Southern Living offices. Right. And I love that line, this old porch is just a steaming, greasy plate of enchiladas. <laughs> right, right. How did that song come to be? I love wordplay and metaphor and hyperbole, and I, I've i always worked with that from the beginning, and that was a very early song. And so I was just sort of matching things that made me feel good, like that that porch made me feel good. And I think that's really pretty much how the song started out was with that, because there's this other place in downtown Bryan called the LaSalle Hotel, which they had just some of the best cheese enchiladas ever. And we used to go there on pretty much of a regular basis. And that was part of that. And as the song goes on, comes a little bit more descriptive towards, you know, places like the palace walk-in sort of thing about like an old theater you know where you would have some great fond memory of some some theater that you went to as a kid and so as the song goes along the whole thing extends into more solid ground i would say so i had the first three verses of that going and i played it for lyle one day and he came back a couple of days later and said I took your song, and I hope you don't mind, but I added some stuff to it. And he somewhat, well, not somewhat, I mean, it absolutely brought the more personal aspect into the song, towards the end of the song, and how it wrapped up this almost community feeling that that we had there on that porch, which it was definitely a community deal because we were block away from the campus people parked over there by our house all the time we had all kinds of strangers and we met just a whole lot of friends and things just by sitting there on the porch playing music and other musicians got where they would stop by and they go hey man i brought my banjo and they'd you know sit and jam with somebody and then they'd go off to you know organic chemistry class and then somebody else would show up with a guitar or harmonica the only people we ever ran off were spoon players and and bagpipe players you know because they would <laughs> <laughs> totally jam busters, if there ever was a jam busting in- instrument. It would be the spoons. I love the bagpipes, but they're a jam buster. They're too loud. And that red top cane, this old porch is just a steaming greasy plate of enchiladas with lots of cheese and onions and a guacamole salad. You can get them at the LaSalle Hotel in old downtown with iced tea and a waitress who will smile every time yes she will i left a quarter tip on my ten dollar bill this old porch is a palace wall. well you know it, it's a great song and it seems really simple but it's mm-hmm also got a lot of layers to it Mm -hmm. and i've heard you say that the first song that you ever learned on guitar was hello walls by Mm -hmm. willie nelson right and that's another one it seems like it's this very simple song but in other ways it's not Uh what was it about that song that made you want to learn it well i was a big fan of willie about the time that i started playing the guitar i started late i started my first year of college and my sister had a guitar in the closet and i went to a&m and didn't have a lot of friends at first i lived with a couple of other guys that were from el campo texas 
Kenneth Gold and Robert Herncher, and I didn't really know them. And I had a couple of people that I knew that went to a but I just didn't have a whole lot of friends. So I was at loose ends to figure out, you know, what else to do with my time other than study, which, I, you know, that wasn't my favorite thing to do anyway. So I got this guitar and I started learning how to play the guitar. And I picked up this book that said the 10 greatest country songs, you know, ever and written in the history of the world kind of thing. And I'm thumbing through it and I see Hello Walls and I think, ah, you know, I've loved this song forever. And what I love just in general about of all of Willie's writing is, like you say, it is deceptive in its simplicity because that song right there, he's basically personifying the walls, the ceiling, the window, and also making a connection between them like they're his friends. And there's this great, great overwhelming feeling of loneliness that you realize, well, this person's either crazy or he's really lonely <laughs> because he's talking to the walls, you know, and he's talking to the ceiling, but he's talking to them as if they are his friends. He dread to spend another lonely night with me, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. That song just has always resonated with me in that way. It has such a great, relatively simple melody, but simple cover or rapper on it, but it's anything but simple. Yeah. Well, as someone who was a fan of Willie and, and grew up listening to him, mm -hmm. it had to be a pretty surreal experience for you when the Highwaymen mm -hmm. recorded The Road Goes On Forever. And this is, of course, Willie and Johnny Cash and Christopherson and Waylon Jennings. And they named their album after that song. What was that like for you at that time? You know, those kind of things that happen where, you know, you have these big dreams and anybody that goes into any kind of show business has big dreams or, or fantasies about, you know, things that can happen. But when they actually happen, it's almost hard to connect with. It's hard to say, yeah, this happened for me or you want to say, it, but at the same time, it doesn't always seem completely real. And when that happened, someone told me about it and I went, yeah, right, sure, you know. And then, you know, I saw the album cover and I saw the whole thing. I listened to the record and I went, wow, this is beyond my wildest imagination because I'd, I'd have loved just had Willie play the guitar on a record or something, right? And to have them record the song and not only Willie, but I mean, I was fans of all of those guys as, as you know, most everybody is. But I mean, I was devout about my fandom i knew all their songs and sang their songs and i never saw a cash concert but i went to see everybody else in that group you know so i don't know what to compare well there it is there's the problem i don't know what to compare it to it's hard to compare i'll be back with more from robert earl keen after the break Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with the Texas legend, Robert Earl Keen. Well, Robert, the road goes on forever is kind of a, a metaphor for your whole career. Uh -huh. I mean, you've been on the road for such a long time, and this is a big summer for you. You announced earlier this year that you're going to retire from touring and performing in September. Mm -hmm. And... I've just got to ask what that's like for you, because it seems like it would be a very hard thing for you to give up. 
You know, Sid, I thought about this for, you know, maybe a couple of years prior to making that announcement, which was exact, I mean, today, so it's the 14th, so that was exactly six months ago. Once I made the decision, I was very solid about it, and I was very happy about it, and I'm still happy about it, but what, what I had never recognized was the somewhat overwhelming undertow or you know, the continuing kind of wave of things that I've go through at these shows that I've been playing that bring back great memories or great feelings about being on stage and playing music. And people like to, you know, use this term bittersweet, but it's even more than that. Sometimes it's incredibly gripping about the thought of not really doing that i've been officially i've been doing this for 41 years i've been touring for 41 years when i made the decision i'm like oh good good job rob you do you know you said what you wanted to say but as time has gone by there are instances there are fans that i meet there are other musicians that i see that i think this is really not going to be part of my life anymore Uh, not that i'm quitting music by any stretch but i'm not going to be out there in the world with it as much as I have been. And I don't really know, except for sometimes the feeling, it almost just stops everything in my whole body and mind. Like that Talking Heads <laughs> song, my God, what have I done? You know, you know that's, it. that's what I kind of think about, about. It's like, my God, what have I done? And then I move ahead. But at the same time, it's been a real emotional experience. And, and I've had... My family, my wife, sometimes they get kind of teared up and we all start tearing up and we're like, can we stop this? We don't want to tear up. We've got lots to do. So, you know, Sid, it's very, it is very emotional. However, on the other side of that, the shows that we've been playing are the best I've played in years and years. I have the best band I've ever had right now. They're some of the same guys that I've been playing with a long time, but we've got a kind of a smaller group and everybody's all in and it seems like we're all just moving in the same direction and not always knowing exactly what we're doing, but everybody has a certain amount of confidence that it's all working out. And it is because you go up there and all these rooms are all filled with people. And I walk out there and I've walked out to some rooms like um, the Grizzly Rose in Denver and there's 1800 people and that's sold out. And they stood up there and clapped for 10 minutes before I could talk. Before I even started the show, you know, how does that That's happen? Great. You know? So there are those kind of things that same time while they support what you're doing, at the same time, you're kind of like, ah, wow, this is, I, I don't know about this. It's strange. <laughs> well, so the, the last three nights of this tour are going to be at a place called Floors Country Store Yes, in Helotus, Texas. Am I saying that right? Yes, yeah, Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about why you wanted to end there and what that place means to you? Helotus, Texas is right outside of San Antonio. And over the years, you would consider it probably just in San Antonio. It's bumped up against one of the major thoroughfares there. But Helotus is the home of a place called John T. Flores Country Store. And number one, back to Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson name checks it in his song Shotgun Willie from the same album, the same title. And I've been playing there since the early 90s. And it was somewhat of a bit of a breakthrough for me at the time because I was playing a lot of little places. And there was this little outlaw country station in San Antonio 
called Kay Rio and a guy named Steve Kaufman, who just did not care what his bosses said or what anybody said. He played what he wanted to. So he would play like you two and then me and then Cheryl Crow. I mean, boom, 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 like that, right? Back then. And he played anything he wanted to play. And because of that, all of a sudden I went from like, you know, doing some, uh, you know, hundred seat kind of things, doing a lot of listening room kind of deals and open mic kind of things to a couple of thousand people showed up. And at that point I had to like build a bigger band, upgrade my whole presentation. And uh, Forbes was one of the first places that I ever took that to because it holds 4,200. It's an outdoor venue, been there for 80 years, 80 years in business. So I would just call that like my hometown venue, really. Well, those are going to be some special nights when you mm-hmm. get there, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. it's uh, I, Yeah, I mean, we have uh, a great lineup. We have Kevin Galloway, who is probably most notable because he has this song that seems everybody knows about keeping the wolves away that's been on um, Yellowstone or something like that. Then we have James McMurtry, who's, I just think, one of the finest songwriters there is around anywhere. And then that same same night with James, Eric Church, I called Eric because I, I know Eric and asked him if he would come play. And he said, sure. So he's going to play. It's me, James and Eric, and then then uh, me, and then we're going to, our band is going to play. The last night is um, this really great young man named David Beck, who has this band called David Beck's Tejano Weekend Volume One. And they play Tejano or Conjunto music with his lyrics, the English lyrics that he writes. And so it's, it's a really cool thing. I don't know anybody else that does this really. I know people that translate songs, but he writes these songs and then puts this full blown, authentic, San Antonio, great, great musician group around him. And they play this great, great Tejano music with his lyrics. And then Cody Canada from Cross Canadian Ragweed is going to be the last support act that we have on that. And then we play on that the very last night. The next day on Labor Day, however, we're having a fan appreciation day where we're going to have a house band and they're going to be playing. I invite a bunch of my friends that sing and they're going to sing three or four songs. And we're just going to stand around and drink beer and take pictures. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask you about your podcast quickly. You have a terrific podcast Thank you. Uh, called Americana, where you, you talk to a lot of musicians about the genre and you hear their stories. What have been some of the highlights of that for you? Well, I think the biggest highlight was what people don't understand is when you're riding around in a bus, you're pretty much in a bubble and you don't see or hear as much music as people think you do. Even when you go play festivals, it's hard to get from one side of the festival to another side of the festival, go see somebody that you want to see. Or like in my case, if we have some really good guest artists that come and open for us, I can't get out there and listen to them without people stopping and want to talk to me. And so I don't get to listen to the guest artists. And so consequently, you're in this echo chamber of listening to the same old music. So the number one thing I've gotten out of, I think we were at 35 episodes. We've been going for, uh, I think, three years now, the Americana podcast, is just the incredible flood of great, great musicians and young people that I don't know where they figured it out but they write great songs they're great great players everybody from billy strings there's so many i can't even count them but 
we had uh, Todd Snyder on on there, and the White Buffalo, and Lucero, and the Jamestown Revival, a great band near Houston, and all of these people are stunningly fantastic. I wasn't aware. I'd say I wasn't aware of probably eighty percent of them until I got into this and started listening to all the different music and saying, who do we want to have play on this stuff? So we also try to, we go two ways. We either try to go find somebody that has a pretty big fan base that, you know, we haven't talked to and people want to hear, or we like to try to introduce a few people that, that people have never heard of before and give them a taste of what's, what's going on. And so it runs about an hour and the producer does all the write-ups and she pretty much does all the mixing and, and, and mastering and editing. And I just talk. I, I ask questions and try not to drop all my notebooks. Well, as somebody who gets a lot of credit for really being one of the early kind of founders of Americana music, mm -hmm. are you excited when you look ahead to the future for that genre? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, number one, uh, one of the great things about Americana is they did start out pretty early uh, trying to put a rope around it and saying that it, it is this kind of music. One of our things is like we want to expand and define Americana. So we always talk to these different artists, you know, their opinion of Americana and where they feel like they fit. But the main thing about our effort there is just to, you know, make sure that Americana is live and well and still growing all the time. And whereas a lot of different genres of music Really, they don't even have a yearly festival or they don't have like a, a, you know, even a really great label to say, this is where you go to to find more about this music. And Americana is pretty good about making sure that you can find out something about Americana music. I don't think it's as ubiquitous as it should be, but that's part of our role. <laughs> You're working on it. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Robert, I just have one more question for you. I usually ask people, what does it mean to you to be a Southerner? But in your case, I want to ask you, what does it mean to you to be a Texan? It means you ha have a love of the land and the topography. For me, it, it's about the giant variety of landscapes and different ways you can see a state. I mean from the piney woods of East Texas to the giant canyons in the Trans-Pecos area, you wouldn't even think that these all belong in one state. There are so many different looks in the state of Texas. Uh, you don't really have to go anywhere else, even in the world, to find all the different kinds of landscapes and physical beauty that this state has. It's it, maybe, well, Alaska it doesn't count because it's too damn cold up there, but... <laughs> In this latitude, you can't find anything like the state of Texas. Well, and I imagine you've seen just about every corner of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have. And, and still, at the same time, there are things that I run into occasionally that shock me even. I just go, I didn't know that this existed here. I mean, how many people know about Paladura Canyon, you know, and it's up there by what everybody thinks is just the flat wilds of the Panhandle, you know. It's an incredible, beautiful canyon, you know. Yeah. Well, Robert Earl Keen, uh, have a great rest of your tour, and thanks so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. Man, I really appreciate it, and, th and thanks for having me on that one, one early on and bringing me back. <laughs> and best of luck to you. Uh, this, is, this is a great thing you got going. We'll come back sometime. All right. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. 
Thanks for listening to my conversation with Robert Earl Keen. Make sure to visit robertearlkeen.com to listen to his music, check out his podcast, watch videos, and more. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuitsandjam. Come back on August 16th for my conversation with Margot Price.